everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this beautiful weekend. Uh, before we get started, a quick note. Uh, Nikki and I just recovered from COVID, but we had and all our shots. Vaccinated and boosted. Right. But the point is, the COVID we had was a, like a, an eight-day flu, and thank God we were never hospitalized or anything alized. We just had to get better, and we did. And uh, for me, that means if you have your shots, you're, you, you can still get a crossover version of it, but it's not going to knock you out, and they're not going to stick a tube in your throat and leave you on your stomach for three weeks. So that's a good thing. And I'm going to interject here. Um, I'm very angry that people have not been vaccinated because that's why we got the breakthrough. And True. if you would all just get vaccinated, then we can all get back to our lives. That's so um, It makes on me that, paranoid. It, no, it makes me <laughs> really me. <laughs> angry. So right. on that note, since that has nothing to do with food or hospitality. Let's celebrate because the Rammies are tonight. Yay! Well, the Rammies are Sunday night. We record on Saturdays. But yes. The people out there don't know that. Well, I gave like it to, all away. I like to be honest. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you tell everybody who's coming on Well, the and Nikki's a presenter with Holly Morris. Big That's deal. True. All right. So we got a great show today. Um, in our drink segment, interestingly, we have Jill Erber, who's the founder and CEO of Cheese Teak. Mm -hmm. And we have a special announcement because Cheese Teak has its 17th birthday here, right? Oh, my God. Congratulations. Yay. That's Wait, right. it's your 17th oh, is this wedding? On right now? I'm, Wait. Just, I'm standing by it like, oh, thank you. And I Wait, is this. it your 17th? Wedding anniversary and no, your 17th? actually, no. Jeff and I are about to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary uh, in two weeks. Yeah, and Jeff said to me, oh, 20 years. No, best 20 Servitude. years of his life. Uh -huh. You know For it. Sure. Okay, we'll get back to sure. you. So hold on. Luckiest man in cheesedom. Okay. Um, we also have uh, Greg Engert in with us. Greg is the beer meister of Washington, D.C. And, and Snallygaster is back. After a crappy <laughs> year last year, Snallygaster takes over Pennsylvania Avenue on October 9th. It's beer, it's food, it's fun, and I'm okay. going to be there. Okay. Can Hell you yeah. say who else is coming on the show, please? Okay. Oh, yeah. And cookbook author Cassie Joy Garcia is, is with us. She has a new book out, and it's going to save you time and money by turning helping you turn leftovers into really creative second meals the following night for the whole family. It's a great cookbook. Great. And we'll it's tell really you all terrific. about it. Um, and when the uh, Abi Najim family, who are owners of the popular Lebanese Taverna, came to the, the U.S. in the 70s, they were fleeing the Lebanese Civil War. And since getting here and opening this incredible, I don't even know, they have 11 locations, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been very digil, uh, diligent about um, uh, helping to you know, put money back into Lebanon. There's an economic crisis on there now. There was the explosion in the port uh, a year ago. And um, uh, Gladys Shea, uh, Abin no. Najim. Grace Shea. Grace Shea, sorry, Gladys is the sister. Grace Shea is coming on uh, to tell us what they've been up to over the last year. Well, and today she is coming on, but they also have been an incredible component of the World Central Kitchen uh, 
and and executing uh, food for those in need. And in fact, today she had to call in. I see her face right now. Uh, she has to call in because uh, they're doing something for Jose Andres World Central Kitchen. So we'll hear all about that. But first, let's talk Sorry, about- Sorry, Grace, I called you Gladys and now you're mad at me. No. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> what's at market. Mitch Berliner, hi. Good morning, kids. So, so glad Mitch, you, um, I'm I, glad you're better. Thank you. And of course, We'll talk about the market, but uh, I'm joining the club, the anger club, at Thank the you. selfish yeah. people out there that won't get the shot. We'll, okay. we'll take care of okay. all of them. So, Mitch, can we talk about, I mean, uh, you know I'm a summer girl and fall is here, which means there are some major changes coming to the market as far as the produce that will be there. You want to fill us right. in? Right. So let me tell you about it. Thank okay. you for asking. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the reason you go to farmer's markets is to get – great, wonderful food, and of course the produce is tastier, fresher, more nutritious, And uh, but you also get a lot of things that you don't find or rarely find in a traditional grocery store. So to, today, um, we have brown cherries, mm. black and golden raspberries, zephyr white nectarines, mm. baby kiwi, celery, that actually tastes like celery. What? <laughs> With my cream cheese? Wait, can we All go right. back? Raspberries now? It feels like raspberries. Yep, they have different varieties and black raspberries, which you no, which never, I, love. I have never seen in a traditional store. Uh. They're a cross between blackberries and red raspberries, and they are one of my They're personal so yummy. favorite. Cool. They are great. And of course, the pear, you said transition. So no, no, we, have to... we, we still have a few more weeks of peaches. And nectarines and plums, but we are moving into apples and pears. And today we have pear cider and fresh squeezed pear cider. Again, difficult to get. We have it at all our markets at cool. Twin Springs. Well, Mitch, can you tell everybody where they can find uh, Central Farm Markets, please? CentralFarmMarkets.com. Thank you, guys. Oh, thanks, Mitch. Feel okay. better. Feel great. Okay. All right, speak thanks. to you next week. All right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, so let's talk to Jill Erber because Cheese Teak is a really special store. It's a cheese a store a restaurant. It's a it's a cheese centric. It's a little it's bit of it's a little bit of everything. Well, it's a little bit of everything, but it's real. It's a great restaurant. <laughs> Thank and, you. And I mean, but she doesn't just have one. You know that, right? I know. Can okay. I like? Why do you have to jump in on all these intros? She's <laughs> look at this. She, she just wants her own show. She can't have it, by the way. But anyways, Cheese Teak. I do have my own show. I have another oh, show. Oh, that show. Online. Nobody, nobody. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. so Cheese Teak. Yes. Started 17 years ago. Yes, sir. You've got, you know, actually, you 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 renovated the one over in Sherlington yes. uh, right before COVID. <laughs> which right, is, best timing ever. Yeah. Yeah, was, best timing but ever. But it's gorgeous, and yes, the the menu you. there is such a trip. It's thank just you. So good. I appreciate that. So, I mean, talk a little bit about your 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 your, your the world of cheese. So the world of cheese has become a mysterious, mysterious place over the past couple of years. I think we all can imagine. Um, a lot of what we do at Cheese Teak is trying to represent cheeses from all over the world and the United States. Um, and so we've definitely been adjusting over the past couple of years to supply chain issues, importation ask, issues. Because you guys are known as one of the most prolific cheese providers yes. in the D.C. metro area. Mm -hmm. How has uh, shipping and shortages, like how has that affected your supply? 
it's affected it in sort of um, in very material ways, but also in sort of spiritual ways. Um, so material ways, costs of everything have gone up tremendously. So costs of shipping, costs of all sorts of importation fees and things, um, costs of raw products. So everything is just costing more. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the material side. But then on the spiritual side, it's not knowing what you can get, when you can get it. You hope to get certain things imported that you've carried for years. And then literally the truck shows up and they're like, yeah, it just never came well, in. So it just unpredictable. Plus, you were also faced with you know the fact that people were coming out much less. Were you? Did you get into yes. the whole delivery? And oh, did oh, we yeah. ever? We became like um, a general store uh, for, for you were quite one a of the while. Or, one of the originals. Yeah. Who did so that. we carried everything from sanitizer to bleach to rubber gloves um, to cheeses and uh, yeah. So we super super expanded our online presence um, as well as our delivery and to go mm-hmm. availability. Should have opened a chapel and called it "What a Friend We Have in Jesus." That would have been brilliant. Yes. He, brilliant. Where were you dying, two years ago? Right. <laughs> he has been dying to say that. On I have. Um, so just quickly, we'll sure. come back to you guys in a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, let's talk about sort of the wines. You brought in all these wines yes. today. You guys are like knee deep in classes and mm-hmm. dinners and everything. So yes. it's all happening again. Yes. What are the wines you brought in today? So brought in some wines. We're right on the cusp. And I know Nikki hates this, but we're right on the cusp of autumn. And autumn. so we are doing a little bit of a winular transition from okay. summertime to autumn and brought in some more heavy hitters that are going to be wonderful when paired with um, sort of a more hearty autumn and winter fare. Anything on the grill. Uh, this weekend is National Cheeseburger Day. Woo! So I know. I so if you are a cheeseburger lover, we have che- the wines will all go beautifully with that. Um, but also we have a bunch of cheeses that are going to be great for putting on burgers and pairing with sort of hearty autumn fare. I mean, mm. I would eat a cheeseburger every day of my life. Yes, I, I had one last night, actually. We had one so. two nights ago. So, okay, what's the first wine you're pouring? So the first wine we're going to pour, oh, here it is. Thank you. Um, so this is the Vista, For- Vista Flores um, mm. Malbec from Catena. Catena being one of the most um, well-respected and revered Argentinian Malbec producers. Um, it is from Mendoza in Argentina. Excellent. And um, super, super high elevation gives us super pure flavors and a perfect embodiment of the Malbec grape. Great. While you pour that and pass it out, we're yes. going to bring We're going to talk to our old, how about 15 years, 20 years? I don't know. <laughs> our old buddy, Greg Angert. Greg is a partner and beverage director at Neighborhood Restaurant Group, but he is the beer guy. He curates each and every every Can beer at every place. Terminology. No, for beer because it it, it I no, feel like for it people doesn't to drink value. beer. He's the beer guy. No, but and he's wearing leader Yes, I know that. But it's not just like locally. He's the beer guy. I mean, Greg has a he's national, a national yes. an international standing as an yes. authority. On beers, but I don't want his ego to get too he inflated. He's still my. <laughs> I love you guys. He's still my boy chick. You know, <laughs> the little Greg that we knew <laughs> long ago. I used to bounce him on my knee, didn't I, Greg? Thank you, love. And then the police said that was not cool anymore, <laughs> and so we did. So let's talk about Snallygaster is one of the great annual events in this town, and it is it is a beer and food and stuff blowout. And last year got screwed because of COVID, but mm-hmm. it's back this year, and it's going to take over Pennsylvania Wait, this Avenue. This is year ten. This is it would have been year ten. It's year right. nine. Okay, so yeah. it's year nine. So let's let's if I could just take David's question and bring it back a sure. little bit. Let's talk about how Snallygaster started. Totally. Like you know that Instagram thing, like where it was and where, how it's going. Oh, right now, yeah. yeah. I think so, we should talk about so, what Snallygaster so it means. It starts actually Rustico Alexandria um, back in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Um, that was our first beer property for Neighborhood Restaurant Group. We threw this. Small now Oktoberfest party in the parking lot I think we were there. Um, behind we were there. the Cedars Lane mm-hmm. location, and we did that for five years. And in the fifth year, 
4,000 people showed up. And so we were instructed not to try for year six. At that point, we had opened Church Key uh, in D.C. in Birch and Barley. And so we said, and we had Blue Jacket on the way. Navy Yard was still mostly uh, empty fields. Dirt, right. And so we brought this Oktoberfest party in 2012 down to Navy Yard. Uh, Michael Bavin, our founder, um, dubbed it Snallygaster. He came up with that amazing name. And we went. But what does Snallygaster mean? Snallygaster is some kind of a, of a, a mythic it's a animal. Dragon. A mythic right. beast. Apparently terrorized the German immigrants of Frederick County, Maryland, in like the late 18th century or something. Is that, like that. true? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's where it comes from. Oh. And then it became like the local. It's like half reptile, half bird, with razor sharp teeth. Um, I think know. I was previously married to. <laughs> <laughs> so we Never had, mind. So, we had, so but check it out. In 2012, we had 100 beers, and we uh-huh. were like, "That's incredible." This year. We'll have 450 beers. That and, is incredible. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. How am I going to drink 450 beers? Yes. We're going to take a quick what? break. When we come back, let's talk about how you curated it this year. Because, you you know, this is not a festival of Budweiser. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but there kind of is. It's a, They it's, don't sponsor the show. That's yeah, what's wrong that's with it. that's also what's wrong with it. Anyway. I wouldn't be on with it. David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast. David and Nikki Nellis with Greg Engert from Neighborhood Restaurant Group. Um, I would imagine the first couple of years when you were doing Snallygaster, you were looking for partners to bring in and all of that. And now I'm betting that that beer, you know, the, the folks that are brewing beers large and small around the country are banging on your door trying to get into this event. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is accurate. And, you know, but that's been one of the great things about expansion is that we're able to find room for new, exciting, up-and-coming You can just take over the Capitol and put them in there. Rotunda. (laughs) Okay, all right. That's not funny. Um, But so, but I think there's a really interesting thing there, Greg, because as you grew up in the beer world, Mm -hmm. um, so too has the beer world changed drastically. The last 20 years... The craft beer scene has, I, I mean, turned it all on oh, its, its head, exploded. right? It's exploded. Yeah. You know, you used to come to D.C. And I I mean, 20 years ago, I don't think there was a local brewery. But now how many local breweries are there just a here, plus, right? Yeah. And they're not like people just brewing beer. Like, they're good beers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I always like the stat that I love to quote is that the previous high watermark of breweries in the U.S. was like the late 19th century. There were 4,000 breweries. By the time you get to 1980 – there were 80 breweries. Amazing. And today there are over 9,000 breweries in the U.S. I mean, that is gobsmacking. There are lots it more is. reasons to drink, I No, think. I, but, yeah. I, but I think that people, the process and what they're making, it's is not exciting like, and continually evolving right. and innovating. And, you know, and we're weathering storms. You know, like cider got big for a few years there and it's kind of, and we were worried how that was going to affect craft beer. It hasn't that much. Seltzer was big for the last two years. And then it's kind of slowing down. So it seems like craft beer really just continues to figure out ways to have legs. Well, because you can I, – I don't think you have to choose one over, over the other. You I've don't. never understood cider uh, personally. Well, but, I mean, not that it's not good, but I just – it's nothing I would ever order. I can tell you why. Okay. We're not going to do that I mean, now. apple juice with other stuff is apple juice. Seltzer water with other stuff is seltzer water with the flavor. Beer has so many different flavors of its yeah. own, the hops and the whole thing. Exactly. Plus when you start adding cherry or you start adding right. this or that yeah. or the other. Marshmallows. It's, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. And some of it's jumped the shark, certainly. Yep. But we can, you know, there's classic styles like lagers and pilsners. That's how we got to the moon. If you don't reach, <laughs> exactly. you don't um, get. And there's something for everybody for sure. So let's talk about who you curated this year for um, Stanley Gaster. Not just the beers, but also the food. Because one of the problems I understand from people who want to do festivals and who are looking to get back into the land of the living is staffing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that is something that has been 
somewhat difficult for us. And we, we made the decision um, early on to really kind of uh, lean on neighborhood restaurant groups, providers, you know, like Red Apron and Hi-Fi Tacos and mm-hmm. State Fair and Buzz to create these large concession tents just because we were concerned about um, staffing for some of the other vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's really done well, although it does feel like staffing's coming back. So we're still working on the food list um, to make sure that, you know, it, it's expansive as we want it to be, but also that people have, you know, the kind of the staffing that they want. Equipment's also being difficult to get. Let me uh, ask you a question. It's an outdoor event, so mm-hmm. masking is is optional, correct? It's optional. We're following D.C. regulations, and, you know, people have said, like, well, how many people can you have there? We're on a four-block stretch of Pennsylvania yeah. Ave, so 7th and Pennsylvania, all the way down to 3rd and, and Constitution. A, what is that, like a six-lane highway? I mean, six-lane road? Like, it's big. Yeah. It's, it's massive. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's massive. The, you, I mean, I think that you're allowed to have like up to twenty thousand people in that space. So <laughs> we don't get we have eight thousand. So and can I, we should talk about Arcadia too because this whole this event for this. benefits yeah, yeah. Arcadia. Exactly. Arcadia. Yeah. So ArcadiaFood.org, Arcadia Center for Sustainable Food and Agriculture has been since 2011 doing uh, just uh, outstanding things. I think for the local food community, um, and they've been especially effective since um, since COVID. Um, but you know, we bring fresh local food to food deserts, underserved areas. We trained veterans um, in in farming, and we have these amazing camps for kids uh, and a lot more. Well, um, so it's such an amazing organization. We obviously are big supporters of it. Just before we uh, say goodbye to you, can we talk about, like, let's pick four beers that you're bringing in or breweries that you're bringing in that you're most excited about because, you know, you're, you search hard like sort of far and wide to bring in really interesting. I got a crazy no, idea. No, no. Why don't we pick the ones that are right in front of you no. and open them up? How about you just let him speak? No. Um, so, uh, you know, this year we've got a ton of great brews from the past that are coming back, but I do want to mention a few new ones that we've been trying to get for years. So Trillium Brewing Company from Canton and Boston, Massachusetts, makes some of the, the most rare hazy beers in the world. They're going to be there for the first time this year. Um, a couple brewers of mixed fermentation kind of delicate sour beers Floodlands from Seattle and Keeping Together from Chicago are coming for the very first time. And then we have um, some really great like new producers of classic lager beer, That's Halfway Crooks from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and Wayfinder um, from Portland, Oregon. So I know Wayfinder. Wayfinder is the only one you mentioned. I know. that. Yeah, the, the, Does the, anybody the... do collabs? Oh for Snallygaster, or do they wind up like making like networking it's, at it's Snallygaster? Both. It's three three things. So this year we actually cla- uh, collaborated with Kushwa Brewing Company from Williamsport, Maryland, one of the best Maryland brewers, uh, to produce a low ABV lager with Blue Jacket, our brewery, mm-hmm. um, for Snallygaster. Cool. And then when people come, uh, we actually will collaborate with some of the brewers in town during that week. But then to your point, so many connections happen and collaborations kind of come from this. I feel like you're missing a huge story to tell, like post Snally. Do you know what I mean? Like about yeah. like all these love connections should, that get made. That. I know. <laughs> all right, we will. All right, Wait, you're making love connections with other people. <laughs> okay, damn you, um, Greg. Tell everybody, please, where they can find out yep. uh, everything about Snally Gaster, sure. other than the list. Are you on mm-hmm. So it's October 9th uh, this year. It's a Saturday. Weather's going to be gorgeous. I hope, and uh, it starts. <laughs> Uh, at 2 p.m. goes to 6 p.m. It uh, you can get tickets snallygasterdc.com. And in addition to you know 200 brewers and uh, 450 beers, we're going to have ci- uh, cider. We're going to have wine. We're going to have cocktails. We're going to have tons of great food. Four different bands, including Trouble Funk, which is uh, the the best DC Go Go band, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge happening, and uh, we hope to see everybody there. What we about the Virgin wait. Rubber Band? Will they be there? <laughs> You know, they couldn't make it there. Oh. Yeah. Because I'm the only one left alive. I was say, they're, they're all, all dead. dead. 
All right, great. Um, okay. Great, thanks, man. Before we go to our next guest, uh, I want to just pop back to Jill Erber. Uh, Jill, you guys have a huge wine dinner coming up next we week. Do. What's the focus of it? Oh, my gosh. It is the most outrageous, amazing founder winemaker joining us from Slow Down Wines in California, makers of the most famous wine we've ever had at Cheese Tea called Sexual Chocolate. If you've ever seen um, Coming to America, that oh is what the God. wine is oh, named after. I thought after. that was something I made up. No. <laughs> so, you remember so Sexual Chocolate. Brandon will be joining us, and he is the winemaker behind Sexual Chocolate and Send Nudes Rosé and Love Hammer Cabernet. Um, yeah, Love and Hammer, all, that's the one yes, I made so up. Yeah. It, he's basically an amazing, amazing winemaker, but has the most outrageous, fabulous, like magnetic personality. If you want to have a wine dinner that is going to be not at all stuffy or foofy, and you just want to have like great it's wine, like fun. great food, this is the place to be. Okay, what are you pouring next? Next, we are going to Spain, and we are enjoying a Shiraz from Ooh, Spain, which is going to be really fabulous. Shiraz, of course, being known for its spice, uh, for its robust qualities, uh, but also wonderful, wonderful acidity, which makes it pair beautifully with pretty much any food. On great. It. All, right. all right. Do you think from now on you could just call me Love Hammer? <laughs> Why not? How about we um, introduce our next guest? Right. Well, we'll call Greg that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So our next guest is somebody that everybody wants to know, and this is a cookbook everybody's going to want to have. Cassie Joy Garcia is a cookbook author, and following up a bestseller she had called Cook Once and Eat All Week, she's come up with an idea to help home cooks in an easy way, in a simple way, cook one dinner and then make something spectacular and different out of the leftovers. Well, uh, and if I can pop in since I'm the home cook, um, I do the dishes. Yes, he does do, do the dishes. He does them very well. Thank you. Um, but, you know, for me, since I'm very used to cooking for a family of uh, six or no, seven, seven. There was seven. There was the seven original. at one point. And uh, now it's since our last one has gone off to college, I'm just cooking for the two of us, which is really strange. And But I still am cooking I eat for seven, but mass quantities of food and figuring out what to do with it afterwards is tough so this cookbook could not come at a better time so cassie joy garcia thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me so tell us a little bit tell us a little bit how you got into cooking i you know i was one of those i grew up in the kitchen with my mom i was the oldest of three she had they had three girls Mm-hmm. And oh, I would she kill would myself. Invite... <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, my, well, I have number three girl myself coming this this December. So. Oh, congratulations! Good for you. Oh, oh thank yeah. you. Uh, my husband probably feels that though. But, have him call uh, me. My, <laughs> my mom would. Uh, she would invite me into the kitchen, and it was one of those. She instilled a very gracious amount of pride early on. If I just helped wash the green beans she would tell everybody that I made the green beans mm-hmm. even though she did all the cooking and it just really I, I don't know she just poured so much love and attention and pride into being able to make something with our own hands in the own kit in our own kitchen that it just got me excited and then I just learned from her as much as I could and then went and chased it and so but then you started a blog right like how did all because not everybody uh loves to cook and curates their own things, puts it out there, and then is able to write multiple books about it and come up with interesting ideas. Because there's, listen, the market is swollen with cookbooks, but coming out with ones that really give people new and interesting things to do is, is, is hard to break through. It is, you know, and I'm one of those stubborn authors that every every book I write, I'm like, all right, I'm done. 
<laughs> I don't think I've done it. Hopefully I've answered the question. I write it as if it's going to be my last because of that, because I really wanted to solve a problem and I don't write one until I feel like there's a particular problem I can solve. And so that's, I've been blogging. I started Fed and Fit, uh, my website 10 years ago and had used that as a place where I could just problem solve. That's how I think of myself as a problem solver for my readers and in the kitchen, everything from how do we make a homemade easy hamburger helper to a, how do I solve this painful problem that we're all facing of how to get dinner on the table every night? All right. Well, let me give you a, I'm going to give you a challenge because let's say the family has a big spaghetti and meatball dinner with a big salad and, you know, some, you know, great bread and all that, but that's it. How do you turn that into Shinola, you know, the next night? I mean, how do you make something totally <laughs> okay, different out of that? This is not a competition show. No, no, but I, I want to know. know. I mean, why like that's, you did that to her. Why not? She's a great. She's a genius. She that's why. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with that that spaghetti? Do you bake it? Do you mix it with something else? What do you do? I'm here for it. Okay, so I would I would actually lean on doubling the meatballs before so kind of rewind the clock if it's possible. Rewind the clock a little bit, and hopefully you have some extra meatballs that are not covered in sauce. And before you cover them in sauce and before you toss them with everything, set them aside and then use those in a soup. Like a, I think I've got a Greek style wedding soup. You do. In this book, for example. Mm -hmm. Yes. Toss some orzo in it, things like that. Um, and then for the pasta, yeah, if I've got leftover pasta, it's a miracle because I've got two very young children at home <laughs> who love noodles. Uh, but any, I think pasta is best done in the oven baked with some sort of a creamy sauce and cheese to make some sort of a casserole. I love that idea. I love throwing it into like a frittata, quite frankly. Like I love pasta and eggs. We'll be over for dinner right? tonight. But um, listen, we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, you know, your, your, your sort of effort to get rid of waste, which is a huge issue when it comes to food in this country, um, is is so admirable. So I kind of want to talk about that. And let's let's talk about how you address that in the book, because I think a lot of people don't recognize it. Right. right. So this is Nikki and David Nellis. We're on Foodie and the Beast. When we come back, enough waste. Eat it all. We'll be back in a sec. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And we're talking with Cassie Joy Garcia about her new cookbook. But we're also talking about called Cook Once Dinner Fix. Yeah, yes. But what we got kind of got onto was in, in America alone, we waste enough food to feed the 40 million people that go to bed hungry every mm -hmm. night in this country. And around the world, it's an even you know bigger problem exacerbated by all kinds of issues related to food storage, but also just people not thinking and waste. So and this, you know, your cookbook in a way addresses that issue because, you know, you can take something that is leftovers and make a whole new meal out of it. Um, was that on your also, mind when you were doing this? But it sounds like it's intentional. So you're thinking about it. When you create the first recipe, you're like, this recipe can be switched. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. You know, I think that there's a couple things that go into, play into how much food we waste in our own home. And, and I've done it. And that's why I feel this problem on a very personal level is, you know, we chop up that quarter of an onion to garnish the chili with the fresh onion mm -hmm. and then what do we do with the rest of it is we right. throw it in the veggie crisper and think i'll get to it later and then three weeks later it's it. dead right yes and and then and then you have to relive that decision all over again 
And so what I, I like to approach this from, and also we're wasting food because we're bored. If you're meal prepping in advance on the weekend, for example, cooking a whole bunch of food, which is a great thing to do if that works for you. A lot of folks, for my, myself included, when I get to Wednesday, I'm tired of my own food. Mm. And I'm tired of what I'd already pre-cooked and I'm ready for a fresh meal. And so all of those things contribute to food waste and also an inflated grocery bill because we wind up buying way more than we actually need. And so by weaving together ingredients, by keeping dinners different and fresh and really, and also easy to do, because I'm not asking you to whip up a gourmet dinner every single night, but by keeping everything really easy and streamlined, we're able to really use the food that we have on hand. And that is the best thing that we can do. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that sort of happened during the pandemic is that people really wanted to cook extreme, right? There was a lot of like, well, I'm here, so I might as well, you know, bake bread or make my own beer or, you know, cook extreme or in ways that maybe they hadn't before because they had time. But one of the things I feel that I've done and I love cooking and I really do enjoy it is that I have really simplified my cooking. I don't, I don't want to be in the kitchen all day and I don't, I don't, I don't want dinner to take me multiple hours to put together. That's what I go to a restaurant for. I mean, I just, I've totally changed my, I used to never had any bottled like salad dressings in the house, you know, and then I was like, Oh wait, there are good ones. So, but do you incorporate that in sort of your your recipes now do you sort of say oh there's really good product out there you don't have to make it from scratch absolutely and I'm a big believer in it I have for example an enchilada cast I'm in San Antonio and the Garcia and so I feel like I can write a mean enchilada bake recipe okay and I in that recipe though I call for jarred enchilada sauce because there are some fabulous ones out there yes you can make your own Mm -hmm. and yes I'm happy to give you that recipe but there's I really think that the name of the game, especially in this book, is how do we get the most amount of flavor and enjoyable experience for everybody at the table with the least amount of effort? Well, uh, you do some smart stuff in the book, too. I, I, there's, a, there's a section called Enjoying Your Time in the Kitchen Even More, where you say you don't have to be in there. It's not a monastery. You put together your own, which Nikki does, put together a playlist or turn on Sirius or whatever and rock your way through dinner. And uh, there are ways to get through. I mean, it's like going to the gym and watching TV or having a playlist in your head that makes the time go faster or seem to. So it's smart. I mean, that's a smart way of handling, I don't want to be in the kitchen this long. Um, how did you go about organizing the book? Because it's not, you know, it's not like Maine's appetite. Like you, how did you decide that you wanted to organize it to make it easier for people to utilize? I love that question. So I actually broke it up into the main component by chapter. So we've got poultry, beef, pork, seafood, and the vegetarian chapter. Mm -hmm. And my thought is that, let's say if you're going through the grocery store and you see a great deal on chicken breast and you say, wow, that's a really great deal on chicken breast. I'm going to go ahead and grab a whole bunch of it, then flip to the poultry chapter and use those. Or if you know that you would want to serve your family a veggie-based meal for a couple of times this week, you can flip to that chapter and browse it from that perspective. Well, I think that's really smart. I I find one of the reasons why that there is waste is that we go into the grocery store or we go to our farmer's market and we're so excited about products or things we see or something's on sale, whatever it is that turns you on when you're grocery shopping, and we buy it and then we don't have a plan for it, right? So there's no intention in what we're doing. So I think it's really helpful to have a book on hand that can sort of guide you 
on what to do with sort of pantry items, like things you should already have so that you don't feel like you can't make it. How do you feel about, um, and I know you have suggestions in here about uh, like, uh, if I don't have one thing, what can I use to substitute? How do you feel about substitutions? Because some people are real sticklers about their recipes. Oh my gosh, substitute to your heart's content. That's my perspective. These re- my, I don't write a recipe from a very precious perspective. I write it from a, you do what you need to do to get dinner on the dang table. Mm-hmm. And I fully support you in that. And so doing demos, for example, I try to show how I'm pivoting. I couldn't find shallots at the grocery store, which is what one of my recipes called for. And so I'm going to show you how I'm doing this with another onion or I'm uh, the noodle, swapping out different kinds of noodles. I think that if we hold dinner a little bit more loosely and what it can look like and remember that the goal is to get it on the plate and hopefully for it to be a more enjoyable experience, keep that as the compass in your hand versus rigidly having to follow every step. Be creative. And that brings up an interesting question. How many of these recipes were kind of in your head and they were sort of intuitive versus, oh my God, how do I make this work? (laughs) I would say about half. You know, this is actually, truth be told, this is how I cook in my own house is by making a little, cooking up a pork shoulder, which is way more than my family needs, for example, and but keeping it at its basic form and then transforming it uh, at a f- couple different meals. And so there were a bunch of them that I had up my sleeve that I could easily pull in, but there were some that I really got to have that fun experience of sitting down and creatively thinking through flavors. The vegetarian fr- chapter, for example, was a really fun one. A re- it's probably my favorite chapter in the book uh, because I really got to be creative in there. Well, it's a really terrific book. Um, Cassie Joy Garcia, Cook Once, Dinner Fix. I assume it's available in local bookstores as well as on the big chains as well. Yes? Yes. Available everywhere. Excellent. And do you have an Instagram handle that we can send people to? I do. Yes. I'm most active over on Fed and Fit is my Instagram handle. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Bye. So, Jill, come back up to the mic. Um, both the wines you pour today are terrific. Wonderful. Um, and that wine dinner sounds fantastic. How are you finding executing wine dinners and classes? Because a lot of your classes are online. Yes. So currently all of our um, deep dive classes are still online. They're live and interactive, but they're virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, our wine dinners are now in person again. And then we also do something called our Friday night cheese boards, which are you know shorter. Those are on Instagram, about 10 minutes long. Right. And they're less in-depth than the interactive. But so when class. you do the Friday night cheese Mm -hmm. Um, Do people come in and pick it up? How does that work? Exactly. So both for our online classes and the Friday night cheese boards, you order online, you come and pick up your kit, which is all assembled for you. Mm -hmm. You just bring it home, lay it out and either watch the instructive video on Instagram or log in at the sort of preset time for the class. And it's about an hour and a half long. So it's interactive and we can chat and and exchange ideas and things. It's really fun. Can we just talk about cheese boards for a second? Sure. Like I feel like on TikTok and Instagram. (laughs) Everybody and their brother is showing, like, how to set up a mm-hmm. cheese board. I right. never knew it was so difficult to do. It didn't used to be. Right? No, it's like a thing now. Yeah. yeah. So do people call you and say, oh, my God, how do I do this? A lot of it, yes. Yeah. So we make platters, of course, so people can always order a platter and take it home. But a lot right. of what we do, honestly, is try and teach people that presentation is important, yes, but it's really about the quality of the product that you're enjoying and making it accessible to people, easy to enjoy, and not turning it into a chore 
for the host, right? You're like, oh, I can't put out a cheese platter unless it's like this intricate, you know, sculpted kind of thing. We try and encourage people to be very relaxed about enjoying cheese also, right? There's a time for a beautifully structured board, and then there's a time to slap some delicious cheese out and just enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's all about the cheese, It's all about the cheese, yeah, yeah, which can be beautiful, but it often doesn't need much presentation and adornment to be a centerpiece. You realize that's the title of your book. It's all about the cheese. Yes. Oh, there you go. The book you don't that I don't do, have. Right? You're welcome. You don't want to do the friend she has in cheeses? Seriously? Well, that could what, be the subtitle. What okay. a friend we have in cheeses is great, but you'll you'll alienate a certain portion okay. of the population. Can we yeah. um, just talk about, you brought my favorite, favorite cheese And I didn't day. even know that was your favorite. Mm. The so right? Yes. It's my yes. favorite. Yes, good call. Yeah, so that That's is Minnie Harbison from Jasper Hill up in Vermont. Mm-hmm. And it's a super gooey, stretchy, runny, almost liquidy cheese mm-hmm. um, that's wrapped in spruce bark to help it hold its oh shape. Otherwise, it would just liquefy Do you everywhere. visit all these resources? Have you know, you? I visited some of them. Um, and I always have these aspirations um, to travel and visit more and more producers, both here and abroad. Um, and um, Jeff and I have three young kids at home, so that obviously puts a little bit of a, a pause in your ability to just become just a globetrotter. Oh, just Jeff for the just moment, looked, yeah. Look surprised at three. I thought it was two. <laughs> no, there's three. Okay, there's a third one. Then. Yes. Okay, what are you pouring us next? So next, we are having, and I understand this is one of your favorite producers, which I didn't again know producers. until today. This is um, the Ridge Winery, um, Three Valleys. This is a Zinfandel, and Zinfandel is famous for being very robust. Very velvety, very round, big, big fruit. So often has to be tempered a little bit with sort of secondary grapes to give it a little bit more structure, a little bit more acidity. And this is one of the most esteemed uh, Zinfandel producers, um, and they are from California. Well, because I feel like Zinfandel sort of got a bad rap, I don't know, a couple of years ago that it was like too juicy and like... It would dye your teeth red. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? It was like overdone. Yeah. I mean, Zinfandel, <coughs> it, it's, a, it's a big boy for sure. So mm-hmm. so when you have Zinfandel, you have to be prepared for a robust wine experience. It's not for the timid. Um, but what I would say is it can be very high in alcohol. It can be almost cloying in its textures and mm-hmm. in its flavors. So I think as production of Zinfandel has gotten more um, sort of adept, you've got a lot more elegant Zinfandel coming out in the market now, which we didn't always used to have. Well, what I think is really interesting about that is um, there's something about popularity, and probably Greg could talk about this in beers too, there's something about popularity of wines, Mm -hmm, right? So mm -hmm. like California Chardonnay is to me the epic example, right? So California Chardonnay starts gaining popularity. People really start liking it. So instead of like refining it and making it better, they they make it it bigger right. they have to make it bigger. right they make yes. it butterier and yellower and 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 they ruin it right you know and, and those things that you're describing are solutions to a production problem so if you want mass production you have to mask um, imperfections in your grapes and in your process with things like heavy oak and lots of um, malolactic fermentation things like that that will add a lot of concealing flavors to your wine experience so they're just keeping up with production the good news about that is that is the precursor to true fine wine production because you get the volume you get people wanting it and wanting more of it then comes the refinement and so now i mean i, I love california chardonnays now 10 years ago i was like i cannot drink right, them I drink no offense them. i just was too much now you get this beautiful, almost a European influence now coming in with California Chardonnay, and it is getting much more elegant. But you have to almost have that mass uptake um, before you can have the the refinement. That Very follows. interesting. Okay, well we'll talk more about that when we sure. come back to you. So you pour what's next? All right. Um, and we're going to take a quick quick break, and when we come back, Grace Shea from Lebanese Taverna is going to be joining us. We'll be back in just a sec.
All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Grace Shea is part of the uh, Abi Najim family that owns the fabulous Lebanese Taverna restaurants. And um, they just celebrated, like, what is it? You're over 40, 40 right? 40 yeah, 42. Yeah, we're 42. old. You look like well, you're about 18. We lost two years. I mean, we yes, lost two yeah. years, you know? So it's hard to remember. It was, it was yes, time has just been crazy. And, and, and David... I will forgive you for calling me Gladys only because you crack me up so much. I, you like I should have married I should have married you instead of Nikki. I yeah, can't crack yeah, her yeah, up yeah, at all. Yeah, no. But you need to come to one of our family dinners. Okay. Yes, so I do. Let's talk about what you guys have been up to because um, you, as a, a family-run restaurant group, have always given back to the community. But you have expanded on that incredibly over the years so let's i mean even now today you're you're working with world central kitchen so let's talk about what you guys are doing and how you're you're helping others and giving back sure i mean you know going back to being around for 42 years you build relationships with people and we've built these relationships with our customers over the years and so um it's, it's so natural to be able to um uh give them outlets to find ways to help. And for us, you know, it tends to be Lebanese related or, you know, in this situation with words like Central Central Kitchen, it's it's Afghanistan, but it's refugees, it's immigrants, it's people leaving, you know, their home and coming somewhere new, which is very, you know, a very um, scary, very relative, mm-hmm. you know, relevant for, for us as, you know, we came here with very little leaving behind the civil war and we were able to do so much. And, it's the people around us that helped us do that. So it's so natural for us to give back and to find ways for to help other people give back. But, you know, I don't think people understand how how does Lebanese Taverna help World Central Kitchen? You know, there's sort of this, it's almost like the story that's not told about mm-hmm. how restaurants participate in feeding others with World Central Kitchen. You know, like, let's... Uh, Jose gets all yeah. the accolades. He deserves every moment of it. I'm not taking it away. But one of the things he did was put money in restaurants' hands during, yeah. you know, it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, so how how is that utilized with Lebanese Taverna? Like, what are you guys doing at this moment? Sure. I mean, World Central Kitchen has this system, this ecosystem that mm-hmm. they've developed, which is amazing. And they see a place that needs help, that needs food. Right. Uh, you know, um, that that's not being provided. And even t- sometimes when it is provided, it's not good food or, you know, it's not efficient. And so World Central Kitchen contacts local restaurants. I mean, and they have other, obviously, venues that when they're, where they set up kitchens, but sometimes right. it's just a lot easier to contact restaurants and they give them a stipend, you know, for to reimburse, reimburse them for their food and labor costs. And then the restaurant produces food and either delivers it or World Central Kitchen will help with delivery. But it's, it is a great ecosystem because um, people in need are getting food mm-hmm. and restaurants are, you know, are, are lubricating their own system of having a help pay for food costs and labor costs. And, and so um, it's been great to work with them on a, at a local level and with a cause that's obviously near and dear to our hearts mm-hmm. because you see these families coming off airplanes with just what they have in their hands. And, and um, that was very similar to our story. And it, the, the food, you know, immigrants, 
uh, disaster relief. Cause right. you know, if you work in a restaurant, that's what you do all day. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, putting out you're, fires, you're put, putting out fires. And, and so it's everything coming together, um, under one roof. It's, it's a, it's very gratifying to be part of. Well, let's talk about Beirut. And, you know, a year ago, you guys really were, were trying to help with the Red Cross after that ridiculous explosion there. And yeah. it, I feel like every day there's another fire that we're putting out. So that story has sort of faded from the U.S. news. Yes. So where, what's the status there? So, you know, obviously last it was last August where the explosion happened. It was a very visual representation and the whole world saw it and mm they wanted to help. And that was another time that it was really easy for us to kind of rally the troops, our customers, our family, our friends to help um, people in Lebanon. And we, we raised close to $150,000, which, you know, I, I'm always astonished by, because when we set out to do the fundraiser, I never had a number in, in mind. And if I had, it would never have been that much. So mm -hmm. very grateful for all, all the, all the the contributions that were made for that. And now a year later, the, the situation in Lebanon is pretty dire. Um, it's worse than it's ever been. The World Bank said it's the worst fall of an economy in two centuries. Um, so it's classified, at, you know, really that bad. Um, yeah, there's no medicine. So the, the thing that makes this different is it doesn't matter if you have money or not, because there's no medicine to buy. There's mm -hmm. no fuel to buy. There's no. So it's something that's affecting the whole country. And that hasn't happened in a long time where every single person there um, does not have resources, whether you have the money to pay for it or not. And the banking system collapsed. So you don't have access to your money, even if you had it. So it's pretty it's pretty bad. And so are you guys still sending funds over there? How is that? So, How yeah, do so we, we participate? A, what do we need yeah, to do? Yeah, so we have a new fundraiser. We've um, we've uh, partnered with AUB, mm -hmm. American University of Beirut. Um, it's They have a hospital there. And a couple of weeks ago, they sent out a, an SOS saying, if we don't get funds, the ventilators are going to be turned off. If we don't get electricity, the ventilators in all of our hospitals will be turned off. And that was a very visual moment for me and our family that, mm -hmm. you know, people are, you know, people there's are going to no die because there's no electricity, right. not because they're, you know, obviously they're on ventilators, they're not doing well, but, you know, so it was very, it was a very um, easy decision to make. And AUB, because, you know, it's American University, Beirut, we always want to find organizations that trust people because when you're dealing with third world countries you don't know where these monies are going mm -hmm. right. so we try to partner with organizations that have international recognition that have you know Standard. so that that people feel comfortable because a lot of times people want to contribute and they just don't know how or where so we're kind of just kind of helping them do that and so you know, where, I think how we, can we contribute now with you sure so we have a fund um for aub um, it, there's two funds, one's a fuel fund and one's a hospital fund. And um, all the funds there will, will go. Um, there's a Scott, you know, there's people that help with the medical expenses. So yes, on our, on our Insta and on our um, uh, Facebook page and on our website, you can find the link for those donations. Excellent. Grace, um, you Thanks. and your family and Lebanese Taberna are always at the forefront of doing what's good for this community and others. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. See you at the Rammies. Okay. Yeah. So, Where do you see my outfit? Okay. Jill Erber. I'm scared. I know I'm you should scared, be. David. Step up to the mic. <laughs> Jill, we got about two minutes left with you. Excellent. So let's tell people sort of 
what's happening at both of your properties right now and how they can uh, sort of access all your cheeses, access all your wines, get in on the dinners. Like, what's the best way to to be a part of everything you're doing? Because you're like a seven ring circus. Yes, that's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. um, but we have a lot of fun stuff going on. So the best way is to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. And we send it out a few times a week, and it has every week's new events. Um, and you can sign up for classes there. Our next class is going to be an amazing Swiss cheese-focused class, um, but all very rare um, but super, super renowned Swiss cheeses. So it's one to sign up for on the 29th. All of that is on our website. So And then you sign up for the newsletter, and you get everything. Um, you like can also follow on Instagram at Cheese Teak. So okay, easy. Super easy, right? Mm -hmm. And Cheese Teak is also on Instagram. Yep. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so we want to thank everybody for joining us today on Foodie and the Beast. We are back in studio. We are healthy, thank God, and we hope all of you will uh, do what's uh, necessary. Cheese Teak is back big. <laughs> Snally Gaster is, is back coming. big. You know how to help the. Greg is wearing Lederhosen. <laughs> Love and East community. So Can I please wrap up? Uh, so much is happening in and around the D.C. community. Check out the list, areyouonit.com, the online zine that covers everything we talked about here today. Of course, you want to follow me at NYCCINELLIS on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you are not vaccinated, for the love of God, please do it. Get it. Thank you. Because you're protecting yourself, your family, your friends, everybody around you. Okay, on that note, we hope you all are safe. Mask up, if asked. Uh, be kind to your servers and those in the restaurant community. They deserve it. And uh, have a delicious week. Mm -hmm.